0: Welcome to Innovation at the Edge, a podcast dedicated to bold ideas that will build a more sustainable and resilient world. We interview global thought leaders and discuss what's new in innovation, and share insights for both entrepreneurs and corporations to build more agile and resilient businesses. Tomorrow's low-carbon and all-electric world will be created by both disruptive entrepreneurs and large corporations, and this podcast provides advice to both on how to scale their ideas.
1: I think. We've realized that we're just going to need a lot of people all rowing the same direction, or if you're in Hawaii, right, paddling the same way in the canoe, to get to our climate goals fast enough. And this is one way that we're excited to do that, which is by helping make the magic happen between startups and corporates.
2: Hi, everyone. I'm Emmanuel Agaric, Chief Innovation Officer at Schneider Electric. And I'm pleased to introduce you to Don Lippert founder and CEO of Elemental Accelerator, a nonprofit startup accelerator program working at the intersection of climate and social justice. Each year, Elemental funds 15 to 20 companies up to 1 million dollar each, and companies which are here to improve systems that impact the planet and how we live on the on the planet, and especially focusing on energy, water, agriculture, transportation, and much more. They have so far awarded 43 million dollars to 117 companies. Don, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
2: So Don, you're you connecting today from Hawaii. What's behind this? Why Hawaii?
1: It's a great question. So I actually started working in Hawaii about a dozen years ago. And if you can remember back to that time in sort of the clean energy fossil fuel intersection, Clean energy then was more expensive than fossil fuels in many parts of the world. And Hawaii was one of the unusual places where wind, solar, geothermal, biomass were actually much cheaper than fossil fuels because we burn oil for electricity here in Hawaii. So through an intersection of a number of factors, Hawaii really became this amazing place to test and sort of a canvas to try clean energy technologies and deploy them at a scale that made a lot of economic sense and where other places could then learn from what we were doing here
2: yeah it's a very good point and you see how in many places in the world actually islands are a very good laboratory for what's coming next in in energy and in this energy transition in that world where energy and electricity is going to be decentralized decarbonized and digital and same for water and and, and other resources as we consume that you have kind of an ideal lab so but tell me a bit more about about you, how did you come with us, this idea, this brilliant idea of uh, Elemental?
1: (laughs) Well, it's really more of an evolution than an idea, I would say. We started with really this vision of how can you flip Hawaii from a place dependent on fossil fuels to a place powered by clean energy. And the initial initiative was a partnership actually between the federal government, the U.S. Department of Energy in the United States, and the state government of Hawaii, and it was a federal-state partnership, really the first of its kind, to try to flip an economy this way. And so I was living in D.C., I was working in a consulting firm, working on projects all over the world. And I was very fortunate to get the assignment to work on this one in Hawaii.
2: So we just announced, uh, or we are about to announce, and I'm, I'm not sure, depending on the, the dates we are going to publish this, a partnership between Elemental Accelerator and Schneider Electric. We are extremely happy about that, that partnership. Because we think we, that we should be able to to scale nice ideas and impactful ideas brought by, by entrepreneurs. What is your expectation on that partnership?
1: Maybe I'll start by explaining a little bit about Elemental and how we're structured and, and how we work. Elemental, as you mentioned, is a nonprofit. And we work with companies, startups from all over the world. And it's because we look across every industry, whether it's technology, the internet, sort of computing, any kind of tech industry you look at, they've been transformed by entrepreneurs, by companies that were once small companies are now real industry leaders, have had a hand in that transformation. And so we believe really strongly that energy, climate, water, as you mentioned, sort of the digitization of these different industries, that will also be driven in large part by entrepreneurs. And so we Every year, we look for companies once a year. Every year, we sort of scour the globe for companies that are doing really interesting, innovative things in those sectors. And we look at about a 1,000 or 2,000 companies and 800 apply to the accelerator. And we can only work with 2%. So that's only 15 to 20 companies are the ones that apply. But throughout that process of meeting entrepreneurs and getting referred to new companies and, and looking at new ideas, we see so many really interesting things. And so one of the things that we do at Elemental is try to sort of dig into that innovation world and help connect folks to people like Schneider Electric or like other corporates or technology companies that would really benefit from that kind of innovation. So it's a way to not only serve the specific companies that we fund and that we work closely with to scale up, but also to be helpful and and generative in the broader ecosystem. I think we've realized that we're just going to need a lot of people all rowing the same direction, or if you're in Hawaii, right, paddling the same way in the canoe to get to our climate goals fast enough. And this is one way that we're excited to do that, which is by helping make the magic happen between startups and corporates.
2: So before we get there and to, we get to what, what's in it for Elemental and for, and for Schneider Electric, let's talk about what's in it for the entrepreneurs. So if I'm an entrepreneur somewhere in the world, and I think I have an idea that can be accelerated by, by Elemental, how does that work?
1: So what we've designed and been iterating on for the last number of years is an open application process. And the reason is that we think it democratizes access to capital and networks for entrepreneurs from different kinds of countries, different kinds of backgrounds or educational backgrounds or networks. So any company can go to our website, ElementalAccelerator.com, add their info at any point during the year and become part of that funnel. And we can start to sort of see what's happening in the innovation ecosystem and be proactively helping connect those entrepreneurs to folks that might be able to partner with them to help them scale or grow. So... That's a sort of an easy process. It's a it's a quick five minute qualifying application. We call it, and then we go into deeper diligence from there about once a year.
2: Okay, and then you've been doing this for how many years now.
1: We've been funding companies since two thousand nine, and under the accelerator specifically, about one hundred and seventeen companies in the last few years.
2: But it's not only about money, right? So, so you help them in many other ways, right? So can you elaborate a bit on this?
1: Companies are all sort of going through their own unique growth path. But some things we can see in common. What we've done is broken the growth of a company into a series of steps and milestones that we call commercial inflection points. And then we've charted these across every sort of aspect of the company. So it includes sort of operations, fundraising, revenue, sales and marketing, all these sort of different parts of the company. And then when companies come into the accelerator, We assess where they are in the commercial inflection point scale, and we bring in specific targeted resources and coaches to help them get to the next inflection point. And our goal as Elemental is to help you get to your next commercial inflection point faster. So if that's on the sales side, for instance, it's identifying your must-win account and then applying specific sort of sales tools and coaching to help get to that must-win account faster. So that's our process for how we work across the accelerator. So yes, we provide funding. Always, I would say entrepreneurs come in the door for the funding, but then they leave saying the funding was the least valuable part of what they got because they actually were able to get to their other sort of commercial m- milestones faster. So that's our goal and that's, that's our reason for being.
2: So one of the values of your platform is that you sometimes bring corporates like us into the mix to have your founders and, and and entrepreneurs and to help us having a better access to innovation, to a lot of things that we would not be able to create by ourselves. So how does that work?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So I think one of the things that we realized early on at Elemental and that we have been leaning into is that one of the barriers for entrepreneurs is sort of those initial projects or initial proof of concepts with corporates or key customers. So at Elemental, we actually fund those specific projects. So if there's a project, say, with the city of Oakland or Tokyo Electric Power in Japan or someone like that, oftentimes we'll bring the customer to the table or help bring the customer to the table. And then we'll fund a project with that customer with our dollars that helps buy down the cost for the customer. So that does a couple of things. One is that it adds a new timeline to the project. (laughs) As you know, one of the things that can be difficult between startups and corporates is that there can be a misalignment of timing, right? So for a startup that's just raised their Series A, they have about 18 months to prove some really key milestones before going to their next funding raise. And they're burning cash as they do it. So there's a real clock being a startup. But if you're a corporate, your clock's a little bit different and you're thinking about things differently. So when we bring in our elemental funding, we bring some money to the table and say, okay, well, we'll provide $500,000 into this project, but this is the clock that it has to be executed on. So it's another way to sort of provide an incentive for the corporate to work on the startup timeline. So we've funded over 60 projects now with startups and customers, and whether it's corporate or government or communities or others. And so we have a formula that we've been able to develop to say, okay, what does success look like? if you reach these metrics of success, what does the scale up look like? But one of the things that I'm really excited about on the corporate side is just how much momentum we've seen in corporates that are leaning into climate and innovation. There's still a lot of work to be done in exactly how that works. And I actually love your thoughts there because you've been thinking about this quite a bit. But I think the fact that we're seeing so many lean in and and want to be better and want to be really good partners on the other side of the table is really encouraging and kind of different, actually, than the last few years.
2: Yeah, it's different. And I would say that there is no way that a large corporate can go through a meaningful transformation in climate or any ESG business that corporate would like to to have an impact on. There's no way that corporate can do it by, by itself on its own. That's just not possible. So we need we need the entrepreneurs. We need people like you who connect us and make us work and align us with entrepreneurs. Because we're talking about disruptions. So if you look at the topic we are focusing on right now, which is energy and how uh, the the world of energy, how the world is getting more electrified and how that electricity is not going to be distributed centrally anymore, but it's going to be much more decentralized and decarbonized system. A lot of disruptions in the business models, in the technologies, so many disruptions that there is no way a company like us, or utility, or an oil and gas major who wants to pivot towards a more electric world, or even a big tech company that says, "Oh, there's a, there's a strong digital company." There's no way any of us can do that by by ourselves. So we need you because that's the definition of disruption. You 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 need to bring to the table business models. And ideas and technologies that don't exist. You don't know what's going to be the competitive landscape. You don't know how things are going to work. So it's very hard to produce that innovation from within. I wouldn't even argue it's impossible to produce that innovation from within. So this is what we are looking for here. And yes, so we try, we do our best to, to adapt to the, to the timeline, to think like entrepreneurs, to align also how we deploy capital, how we, how we manage risks. But yeah, I agree with you that time is probably the, where the major difference and adjustment is for us because you have to go very fast, faster than what the speed at what a corporate would normally go. But at the same time, it's a very long process to build a business. Right? So you don't count in quarters. It takes five years. It takes seven years to really create a meaningful business, an impactful business to create a unicorn. So that timeline is completely different from how a large corporate operates usually. So yeah, we definitely need you.
1: I'm curious, Manuel. do you think the most important part of having the entrepreneurs at the table with you is the technology innovation or the business model innovation? Or is it just having the people, the entrepreneurial spirit infused into what you're doing? Which is the most important?
2: All of the above. Usually on the business side, it's either technology innovation or business model innovation or both. And that's where you can find complementarities and then you connect the dots and you can align the teams. And and as as we're doing with you, you we have a a full team which is just dedicated to understand and and connect the entrepreneurs with, with our lines of business and our business units. And then align and see how we can build complementarities on the technology side, on the business model side. Now, when it comes to entrepreneurship, I mean, a corporate is not designed for this, right? So we are designed to execute, to optimize, to deliver very strong cash flows. Of course, to innovate, but real entrepreneurial, starting from the ground up ventures, we cannot do this by ourselves. So entrepreneurship is is definitely something that we need to seek outside. Because entrepreneurship within a company exists, intrapreneurship. And we have a lot of them at Schneider Electric, but that's not exactly the same. It's different. When you build your business, you're out there and then you start from scratch, from blank page, and, and you need to build this from the ground up. So so it's a bit different. And, and again, this is why we, n- we need the type of partnerships that we just signed with you.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting point because I think the kind of partnership that we named it that shiner electric is working with us on we call it a scale-up partner (laughs) and it's a very specific name because we're looking for corporates that actually have sort of that business model and technology synergy with the companies and can actually find business deals that work for both and are really productive for both so it's interesting they kind of brought that up and i think Of course, the entrepreneurial spirit and perspective is also really valuable. But I think when we lead with the other two, we get much more done on the actual startup corporate relationship side. And then having sort of entrepreneurs in the mix and that perspective is a cherry on top as opposed to the driver. And I did just say when we've seen it the other way around, when corporates are more interested in sort of having entrepreneurs at the table, for the sake of getting people excited and feeling good about the culture and seeing what's out there, that's when we haven't found as productive of relationships, right? Where we haven't been able to find that business fit.
2: I agree. So. I agree. I agree. There, there have been a lot of innovation tourism over the last few years, especially with the last decade or the, the fast growth of big tech and. Uh, I mean, yeah, the typical thing, right? You take your executive committee or your board to the Silicon Valley, you expose them to 10 or 12 startups in three days, and everybody has fun, the weather is nice, and back to the corporate jet, and that's it. That was it. A lot of excitement. Oh, yeah, we should do this, we should do that, and nothing happens. And the uh, same thing on the on the other side. for The entrepreneurs, oh, I've spoken to the chairman of the board of Corporate X or Y or Z. Well, that's it. I've arrived. So you create, with those first encounters and the first, Meeting between a startup and a corporate is always full of excitement and and hope and dreams. And that's okay. But now, if you don't have a second meeting where you really set the expectations on both sides, where the corporate understands that, well, the the entrepreneur will drive the show, will run the show, because the corporate is not able to do it and to create that innovation that the entrepreneur is able to create. And that, on the other side, the entrepreneur understands that getting to 120 countries and having a billion-dollar scale, what well, Takes a lot of bureaucracy and processes, also and, and governance rights and, and things that you have to respect, and that's that's basically time that maybe the entrepreneur is not ready or is not equipped to go through. You. This is why it's, it's really important to to work with people like you, so that that we can have that translation, that constant adjustment of expectations on on both sides. Right. So that's 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 really important, so that we are both successful. We can bring value from the corporates to your companies, to your, to your entrepreneurs, and we can, at the same time, learn from them.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, diversity and inclusivity is, is really a key differentiator, a key topic for you. So, why do you do this?
1: we've actually found these issues to be inseparable. And I think the more we've worked on them, the more it's become the case. So it's a good question. I mean, we started working specifically on our equity and access work in 2017 through sort of a dedicated track. And it takes two forms. So one is what we call equity in, which is what does your company look like? And what are you doing to ensure that you're actually getting the best talent that you have different viewpoints represented that might be different viewpoints, you know, the viewpoint of your different customers, right? So that you actually have the most inclusive and diverse environment that you can as a startup. And you're building in those feedback loops. So you really understand your customers, you understand the communities you're working with. And another piece of equity in that we've been focusing on is like what does your supply chain look like? And so There are so many examples where by sort of thinking through your team and your sort of suppliers with an equitable lens, you actually build a much more resilient and effective business. And then the other side of it that we've been exploring and really working on is what we call equity out, which is how will your product or your business impact the communities where you're going to be working? How do you ensure there aren't unintended consequences or that you understand what those consequences might be? How do you sort of bring in diverse constituencies to champion your work? And in that side, we work with community-based organizations that can also be just really powerful to technology companies in in getting things right. So an example there is that we're working with Remix, one of our portfolio companies, on building an equity measurement and tool into their transportation planning software. So when you're actually planning cities, how do you know if what you're planning next is going to be more or less equitable if you add bike lanes here or add some public transit over there? What will that do in terms of an equity score? And cities have been looking to do this, but they didn't really have the tools to do it. And so working with Remix and a community-based organization that had you know, real credibility within the community, we've been able to, to put that together in a way that's not just sort of like Remix, this private company saying, this is what we think it should look like, but there's actual like design collaboration and credibility by working with community-based organizations to do that. So On both sides, we just see an opportunity to create so much business value. And if you build these tools in early, they just become part of the way the company does business. And either way, the companies will need to do business this way when they get bigger, for risk mitigation and for you know sort of understanding their customers and all the reasons I mentioned. But if we can build this in in ways that are effective, but like right sized for startups, then they can be sort of the best practitioners of this as the companies grow. So I'm really excited about that work. I think we're sort of just at the beginning of seeing some really amazing results as companies grow and have equitable practices, both equity in and equity out as part of their DNA.
2: Yeah, that's a great concept, this equity in and equity out. And of course, here it's equity in the sense of social justice and diversity and inclusion, right? So it's not the, we're not talking about cap table only here. And basically what you're doing, you're you're building sustainable companies from the get go, right? So you know that... Not only the business they are in, but also the practices and who they are and how they behave and their values are, let's say, fully ESG compliant from the beginning and sustainable in the real sense of, uh, of it and, and equitable from the get go so that they don't, uh, it, it's not just a, a sidetrack that they, they would tackle at some point. And definitely that resonates a lot with, with us because we, we don't think it's possible for a company to be involved in fighting Climate change, or other any, any major issue we we are facing, without ourselves being completely sustainable and 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 be aligned with 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 those values, so it's not be consistent. So so doing that from the get go as you build your the company is just brilliant.
1: Well, I was gonna say just that ESG point is interesting because we work with a number of large public companies, and as they're trying to sort of like inject ESG into the company and sort of. Measure it and then show what it is, and set the tone at the top or on ESG and sort of corporate. It's so much harder <laughs> than it is for the com- our startups, and and the startups just have that are really thinking about this and doing it well have a huge advantage. I think when it comes to the capital markets and being able to speak the language of ESG focused capital, which is increasingly becoming more and more trending toward all capital having some kind of sort of ESG lens to it. So I think there's a real competitive advantage as these companies grow. And it's been fascinating to see how much better some of our startups are at thinking about and measuring impact than some of these large public companies that are kind of coming late to it.
2: Agree, agree. Because the the main risk when you don't make it front and center to your strategy, to your behavior, to your culture, and you just uh, consider ESG as a, as a sidetrack or something you can tackle later, well, the big risk is that you end up doing greenwashing, which is the worst thing you can do, because that you're not true to what you to what you mean or to what you say to your, to your stakeholders. So definitely, it's brilliant to from the from the very very beginning of a company to to align all this and to make sure that the company itself is is uh, as a strong basis of, of sustainability in the way it behaves and the way it's, it's, it's constructed. Has that changed during the pandemic? Did, did you see any any evolution, good or bad, in that part of uh, your, your equity and access track?
1: Well, I mean, I think what's been really interesting, and it's not as much a result of the pandemic as the result of the George Floyd killing and everything that's come after that in in the United States, but we have seen a huge amount of interest and leaning into social justice and anti-racism and racial equity as part of every business and the understanding that not being literate or effective on on these issues is a business risk. And so I think from that standpoint the companies that we've been working with and have been sort of building this into their competencies and and their processes and their culture from early on are you know really well positioned as a result of everything that's happened in 2020. And I think the pandemic also has. There's a couple of key opportunities that it has opened up. I mean, one is that we're seeing startups be able to fully remotely deploy technology and hardware, and customers being willing to sort of get on the ground and install things when they never would have done this before. So, like one of our examples is you know, our company portfolio company Carbon Cure that injects CO2 into concrete to make it stronger and it's not more expensive. And they used to fly people all over the world to, you know, install the technology and, you know, work with customers to use it. But it's not really necessary. Customers can actually install it themselves, and now they can send the equipment around, and customers can install it themselves, and they put together training and digital support and all those things, and they can go faster than ever. So I think it's for entrepreneurs that are creative and sort of thinking about um, impact and and what virtual world means, there's actually a lot of new opportunities that we're seeing across the, across the startup world that are opened up as a result of just thinking differently about how we do business. So I'm really excited about startups iterating on their own business models even faster than they were before and enabling us to, to move faster.
2: And what about fundraising in that remote world? Was it easier for your for your entrepreneurs? Was it more difficult, or is it just the same in a world where you cannot meet physically people? Because serendipity in, in that in the business of uh, venture capitalism is has been always very a very strong factor. How did you say that this this year?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I love that the word serendipity. One of my mentors sort of told me that um, you know most of good things that happen come from serendipity, but you're sort of responsible for creating your own serendipity by being in the right place at the right time as often as possible and like really being strategic about where that is and how to create that. So my sense on fundraising now is actually that it is an opportunity to democratize fundraising because it's no longer sort of bumping into the right people at the right coffee shops on Sand Hill Road in Silicon Valley. It's now an opportunity to create new AI-enabled platforms like like we're working on to connect investors and corporates and startups or ways to connect people from different countries with the sort of the capital sources in in New York or Boston or Silicon Valley. So I think if we can get out of 2020 with a way of thinking about opening networks, creating new serendipity online that doesn't have to do with sort of who you went to college with or who your friends are, it will be a huge win for Startups in general, and particularly startups who are trying to solve some of these really tricky problems, and maybe based in places all over the world that we haven't even met them yet.
2: Yeah, and that's another factor to for, to your equity in idea. Well, Don, thank you very much. So that was Don Lippert, everyone, CEO of Elemental Accelerator. Again, a nonprofit organization that accelerates entrepreneurs, and, and as you've heard, not only looks at uh, what the businesses they accelerate are doing for the planet, for the greater good of the planet, but they also build them in a sustainable fashion from the get-go, so we can provide an answer to a lot of the concerns we have as as, as human beings and as society this year. And we are very, very proud of Schneider Electric to be uh, partners of Elemental.
1: We are delighted you- to be partnered with you and all the things that we can do together for the planet. So.
2: Thank you very much, Don. It was really good to have you. Uh, thanks for your time, and see you very soon, I hope.
1: Yes. Aloha.
0: Thanks for listening to Innovation at the Edge by Schneider Electric. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. If you like this episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. For more information on the Innovation at the Edge program at Schneider Electric, go to se.com slash ventures or follow us on LinkedIn. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be undertaken as financial, economic, legal, business, tax, or investment advice. The information, statements, views, and opinions should not be construed as the provision of advice by Schneider Electric, or as an offer to buy or sell any products or services, or to make or consider an investment or course of action.